This month's episodes are sponsored by Crossway, publisher of the English Standard Version of the Bible and many helpful Bible resources, such as the ESV Bible with Creeds and Confessions. This resource contains 13 important creeds and confessions from church history placed after the ESV text, including the Apostles' Creed, the Belgic Confession, and the Heidelberg Catechism. With introductions written by Chad Van Dixhorn, you will come away with a better grasp of history and original purpose of each historical articulation of the Christian faith. Available in True Tone, True Tone Overboard, and Premium Goatskin Leather. Learn more at crossway.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to interview uh, man, actually, this is the first person that I've had on twice. Uh, I'm getting to in- interview Doug Wilson today. Doug, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. So what's this background screen I see? I don't think you're actually sitting in a library that's got massive vaulted ceilings. Well, yeah. yeah, during the lockdown, I was real busy trying to refurbish my, <laughs> uh, refurbish my library. Okay, <laughs> you did a good job. I, well, thanks. Actually, what I was doing was learning to play with Zoom a lot. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I've not figured that out yet. So at some point, I'll have to have somebody help me get that set up. Um, okay. Well, like I said, you're the first, uh, first guy that's on here, uh, for the second time and, uh, just excited to get to talk with you. Why don't we get right to it? Here's the idea that, that I have with this conversation is I just kind of want to help pastors see how easy it is to talk about cultural matters that are hot topic issues. When you actually believe in the authority, the inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture, it just kind of clears things up and right. you've done a great job with that. And so I just want to help guys think through these things. And if there's something that the scriptures don't explicitly speak to, the Bible does. It's because it's, uh, it is sufficient. It gives us the tools to be able to think through it in a way that's, that's better than how the world is thinking through it. It gives us lenses by which we can understand and interpret and principles to apply. And so I just want to try that. I want to do that. Right. So, um, so I'm going to give you a, a several questions and you can answer them as quick or as, as slow as you would like. Um, but wait a minute, have we prayed yet? Did I pray? Didn't. No. Okay. Well, why don't we pray? That's what I do every time uh, for interviews. So let's go ahead and do that. Good deal. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask that you would lead and direct this conversation. Holy Spirit, I thank you for uh, regularly just always pointing us to Jesus. And we just ask that you would do that. Uh, Father, I thank you for for your love for us. And I just ask in all things, we would honor you. Uh, Lead us in this time. I trust that you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Question number one, how many genders are there, Doug Wilson? Two. There's only two. How do you know that? Because in the beginning, God created uh, man. And uh, in Genesis 1, it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay. One, now, one two. It's, not, it's just, it's pretty simple. Right. Right. And if you, what you're trying to do, if you try to have three, four, five genders, you're trying to walk up to a Rembrandt with your finger paint set and trying to Im- improve on it uh, with your ideas of, of painting. Um, God, God has done his masterpiece. He's painted, painted his own image, uh, a self-portrait. And what we're trying to do is deface that portrait and call it creativity. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, we don't get to do that. 
He's right. the painter. He's the one who signed the painting. This is my signature. The image of God in man is male and female. That's good. Now, Washington Post picked up on the NSA uh, ad about the bathrooms and the two genders and yeah. knowing more about this more than the Supreme Court and coming I think it was the Washington Washington Times I think Washington Times yeah, yeah right Washington Times and if I had a, a school age a college age child the one of the only schools that I would consider sending them to would be New St Andrews but apparently the two gender thing is is a uh, pretty controversial thing right now it's yeah. it's amazing and and it's amazing how the controversy works because we uh, that that bathroom that we used for the backdrop is right next door. Right, it's part of Friendship Square, right off Friendship Square, which is where New St Andrews is located. So it's right next to our building. So, but it's a public um, public restroom, and the mayor um, was pressured to denounce our ad because it got some traction. I think it's um, it was last time I looked a week or two ago. It was up north of 300,000 views. Okay. So it, it, uh, it went viral, right? right? And the mayor felt pressure to denounce our um, homophobic or transphobic uh, ad, but he's the one, at, that's a new restroom. He's the one who built that restroom. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's the one who had the sign, men, women, put up on it, and a picture of a man, a picture of a woman. All we did is have a man walk into the men's side and a woman walk into the women's side and say, we know what this is all about. And that was hateful. <laughs> it's, it is, it's comical. I mean, what else can you do besides, you either get very, very angry and just lose your mind over it, or you just laugh at such stupidity. Yeah, it, it's amazing. It's not, it's not IQ stuff. It, this, is a, this is what the Bible talks about. This is folly. In the Bible, Folly is a moral thing. It's a moral characteristic. It's not an IQ thing. Yeah. So you can have rocket scientists and data technicians and people with 50 pound heads who think that the transgender thing is anything but nonsense. They think it's not nonsense, but it's manifest nonsense, which means it's a moral issue. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Let's move into something, uh, Equally as offensive, but just as easy to answer. Uh, what's the only permissible biblical way to have sex? To be uh, to have sex with a woman you vowed to stay with for the rest of your life, or if you're a woman, to have sex with a man you vowed to stay with and be faithful to for the rest of your life. One man, one woman, one time. Simple, cut and dry, clear. Uh, right. Yeah, gotcha. Um, why is it that pastors, one of the things I want to talk about is courage. And, and I think I first heard the C.S. Lewis quote about courage from you. And pastors have been, and a lot of times theological nuance behind any sort of theological nuance is embarrassment. That's why the nuance is there. Sometimes nuance is helpful because the Bible requires us to be nuanced about it. Um, and yet most of these topics, the nuance is motivated by, I'm just, I'm scared. I, don't, I want you to like me. I don't want to be embarrassed. Um, so sexuality and then gender roles um, are, especially within the denomination I'm a part of, which I'm going to ask you more specific questions on uh, the SBC here in a minute. But with gender roles, I mean, on a scale of one to 100, how offensive is an egalitarian model of gender that strips away masculinity and femininity and wants to just make us all kind of like this asexual 
mesh of humanity, of just of humanity without gender. So how offensive on a scale of zero to a hundred is egalitarianism? 98. 98. Okay. Go ahead. I would say it's, it's um, that high. Going back to the point I made about Genesis 1, when the peasants in the valley hate the king in the castle on the hill and they can't get at the king, they can't get at him. They can't take his stronghold, mm-hmm. but they hate him. What they do is they burn him in effigy. They mm-hmm. can't reach the king, but they can burn his effigy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and the, the image of God in man is the effigy of the king they can't reach, mm-hmm. right? So, um, in one sense, the uh, the you know old-fashioned adultery is a violation of the seventh commandment. Mm-hmm. But the I I'm, I regard this tr- the transsexual egalitarianism as a violation of the first and second commandments. Mm-hmm. What you're okay. what yeah. you're basically it's a problem of blasphemy. Mm-hmm. You're you are saying that I've got a better idea of who God is than God does. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I want to make a graven image of my God using human sexuality as the, um, as the clay that I sculpt, whatever. So if it has to do with humanity and sexuality, that's the clay for making an image of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And if you're, if you're putting a, a clown nose on it, or if you're, drawing a mustache or you're doing all these absurd things with it. What you're doing is expressing your contempt and hatred blasphemously against God. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, and that's the, that's why when you touch, if if you get close to the center of this, why oftentimes volcanic hatred spews out Mm -hmm. because this is an issue of blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. And even so connecting some of the dots here, I wrote an article about, I don't know, six or eight months ago where I said that intentional childlessness when, when a married couple can have children is the same categorical sin of homosexuality. It's, it's looking to God and saying, life ends with me. I will not bear fruit and multiply. Um, and there seems to be this, this disconnect with um, ha- of, of doing things God's way. And that is infiltrated even within complementarians where we still have, we still feel like we have this autonomy to just live as free as we want, as long as we're certain, you know, kind of, at least we're married and, and I'm a male and a, a man and a woman are married, but I don't have to obey God in all areas of life, even with the cultural mandate. And, and everybody lost their mind about that article, but right. it seems that the same kind of sins where it's no, I'm going to, I'm going to do things my way. And I don't care what God says. Yes. So if the, if the logic of homosexuality is I'm going to have my pleasure with no possibility of fruit, well, that's what homosexual relations are. Mm-hmm. It's fruitless. The Bible describes it as the fruitless deeds of darkness. Uh, this, this, is, um, uh, this kind of fruitlessness where you regard your sexual partner as the, an apparatus for having orgasms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. If that's if that's what they are, then men can serve that function as well as women. Uh, you know, a woman with a woman. Um, if if all you're after is at the climax, mm-hmm. and that's all that's necessary, then there is no reason. Uh, the the logic of uh, the logic of homosexuality is embedded in fruitless heterosexuality. Mm. Yeah. Yes. 
Very good. Very good. Okay, so let's get to the SBC a little bit. Not going to go to the PCA, but just talk to SBC because I'm more familiar with that. Um, the SBC, is, there's a growing trend, and I'm a part of the Sojourn Network, which is an offshoot of Acts 29 from several years ago. And a lot of the same shenanigans that's going on with SBC is going on within the Sojourn Network. And I've benefited greatly from both organizations, but have some major issues with, with things that are going on. Um, part of that is just the embarrassment about gender roles, embarrassment about um, how things work themselves out in the home and the church, specifically with complementarianism, also with uh, the SBC going woke on you know systemic racism and police brutality and with everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter and all of that. It's just a, a big mess. Um, let, let's just clear things up real quick. Um, biblically speaking, is it okay for a female to preach on a Sunday morning to a church? No. Okay. Why not? <laughs> Bible says not to. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, gosh, I just don't understand. It's just so easy. <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking, speaking of nuance, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, uh, let's just really talk about this and, and maybe it actually doesn't mean that at all. Um, okay, so C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, he, he understood the consequences of ideas. So did G.K. Chesterton. Those two guys, those names are thrown together quite a bit. Even with, with you guys, I see that you put their names together quite a bit. There's, they, they were able to see downstream. What's the consequence of this idea? You've done a very good job of that as well. Um, when did you first see the problems in the SBC? Was there a moment or just a season that you first saw a growing trend? And maybe you could pair that together with the PCA's way. Maybe maybe that goes further back, but uh, the SBC in particular, when did you first see the problems that became what is today? I I would say uh, it's a little harder. I saw the problems in the PCA sooner than I did in the SBC. Okay. And the reason for that was one was proximity. I grew up, I grew up uh, in the Southern Baptist Church. I was baptized in the Southern Baptist Church, and that was that's where my roots were. Okay. And um, and I it was uh, uh, technically in the South where where that happened. And so I thought of the SBC as simply a traditional good old boys we believe the Bible uh, mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, denomination. After a long story, I I wound up becoming a Presbyterian and when, and and because of that, had lots of connections in the PCA world, even though I was not PCA, had friends and connections in the PCA. So I had um, front row seats on what was going on in the PCA uh, and the SBC was part of my old story. And to the extent that I knew about it, it was... Al Mohler had done a great job in kicking the liberals out. And so uh, there were people like Mohler who were in positions of influence mm-hmm. who had um, beaten back the tides of liberalism. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, and that's basically, that's what I knew. And then I would say, oh, I'm guessing five to 10 years ago, um, I view people like Mohler as, you know, a brilliant World War One general um, who never had to deal with aircraft carriers or, okay. or admiral. You know, um, and the because the the woke this this woke movement is the old liberalism on steroids, but it's coming. It's they're they're not coming through the back door and the front door the way it's, this is. They're coming down the chimney and through the windows and right. it, it's a it's a 
the presentation of this disease is completely different than it was the last time. Yeah. Although, although the root of the root unbelief is always the same. Mm-hmm. The root unbelief is always the same. And because they, um, I've said before that, uh, the vault, the, one of the things I noticed is that the PCA and Presbyterians, I think, were particularly vulnerable on sex, and the SBC was particularly vulnerable on race. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, be, um, well, simply because within my living memory, I, you know, I, uh, it would have been a problem in the church I grew up in uh, if a black family had come and tried to join. There would have been constantly it would have been a deal right right um and and i have no way of predicting which way it would have gone but it would have been a it would have been an issue and that's within my living memory mm-hmm. and so there uh, there was a particular vulnerability of a, a historic guilty conscience mm-hmm. and what the woke people do is they play to that guilty conscience they uh they're of the devil and they love to accuse mm-hmm. and on race issues, there are things to accuse people of, right? Yeah, right. It's not all, it's not all lies. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes, uh, I think, the Southern Baptists particularly vulnerable, Southern Baptists, mm-hmm. and the denomination formed um, over the war between the states. Yeah, all, you know, it's very easy to say, to point to this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. With, um, with Presbyterians, uh, they're... Um, their thing has appeared to have been sex. A lot of the disease is coming out of St. Louis. Okay. And um, um, Connections and Covenant Seminary and Memorial Presbyterian. And, um, and if, there's, if there's one thing that um, Reformed types, let's say, let's say Reformed, the Reformed generally, are vulnerable on intellectual arrogance and... Mm-hmm pretended sophistication and all of that. And when you start playing the nuance game and the intellectual sophistication game, it's just a matter of time before someone decides to deploy those instruments as a way of getting into bed with someone they shouldn't be in bed with. Ah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, about an hour and a half Northwest of us, St. Louis covenant seminary and in that church. And so, yeah, we've, we've uh, seen and heard a lot from there and, uh, yeah, it's wild. So now, what's the consequence of ideas of, of wokeness? I mean, what's what's downstream? I mean, things of when I first saw how crazy this was was Blackout Tuesday, just after George Floyd, which everybody agreed was a horrific event. Uh, then Blackout Tuesday the next week, I saw most pastors all across the country that I knew that were hashtagging Black Lives Matter. I mean, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I saw and how rapid this stuff was happening. And I, I remember thinking, my goodness, this is exactly what. MacArthur and the statement on social justice and the gospel that what they've been talking about. And now here it is. I mean, it's just right in front of us. Yeah. What's the consequence of ideas from where we are today moving forward? If there isn't a, a wide sweeping revival and if pastors don't get a backbone throughout this country. So there's, there's going to be, I, I think one of two things, uh, black lives matter is simply refried Marxism. It's just, um, so what's if if they get their way, what's what's waiting for us is the gulag, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, right? Um, Which will be more of those right there. Yeah, right. Correct. <laughs> the gun on my wall behind us. 
so there's there's that. If um, if the um, Marxists have overplayed their hand, which I I believe they have actually, um, and they've grabbed for too much, too soon, too quick, uh, and there's a blowback. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is I'm gonna have to game it out. Uh, maybe two or three moves here. Okay. Um, if I, I'm I'm not predicting, but I am expecting a um, a resounding defeat of all this wokeness in November in the election. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think a, a lot of people are just sick and tired of. Agreed. You know, you're tearing down a statue of Frederick Douglass. Yeah. Really? This <laughs> nonsensical. <laughs> Uh, this is, uh, this is, um, it's simply raw. It's a raw sheer power play. Now, what's going to happen is if this blowback is good old uh, America, you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, it basically, if it's a redneck um, blowback against the the woke people, uh -huh. uh, that's good in that will it will buy us some time because if. Um, if Hillary had won, we would be at New St. Andrews College, we would be having a hard time operating right now. Right. If, if the Department of Education was uh, run by Hillary, right. it'd be the same thing with Biden. We would have, we would be in a fierce battle for our lives mm -hmm. um, on, in the short term. Now, if, uh, if Trump gets elected again and the left loses their minds as they will, but if they get shellacked and are sort of dealt with. Uh, that's not the same thing as a revival. That's not the same thing as a reformation. That's more like a reprieve mm -hmm. or yeah. a respite. Right. So, um, because unbelief is never friendly to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And yep. that's, tr that's as true of right-wing unbelief as it is of left-wing unbelief. But the hostility of, of the right toward the gospel has not metastatized to the same extent that it has on the left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that we would have time. We would have time if we utilize the time to strengthen our institutions, train our men, get men preaching the gospel faithfully. No, not America first. Uh, uh, Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Jesus one two three. Uh, America fourth. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> there you go. That's a good place for it. Right. Um, yeah. And if we do that, then, then I think, um, so if, if Trump wins in November and Biden loses, then I, for one, will be greatly relieved, not because that's the, not because that's the reformation we've all been praying for, uh -huh. but simply because I know that this band of pirates is not going to make me walk the plank the, the way that other ship full of pirates is going to make Right. Right. I would rather be captured by these pirates than those pirates. Those pirates. Yeah. <laughs> because I, that, that gives us more time, to, more time to prepare for the, the inevitable conflict. So the thing that, uh, that I wanted, I think it's a normal, sensible thing um, for conservative Christians to look for the thing that buys us time, but, but without giving your heart away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without uh, without putting your doctrinal orthodoxy up for sale, um, just so long as it's Trump approved, you know that that's right. just that's unfaithfulness. Also, yes, agreed. Very good. All right, let's uh, 
talk a little bit more about so-called systemic racism. And uh, it, let's just ask this. Is systemic racism in our country, this has a lot of tentacles, but is systemic racism and police brutality, is that real in our country? Um, so I would say police brutality that is racially based is not a thing. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is count, uh, count the cops who are black, count yep. the people who are arrested that are black. What are the, what are everybody's colors? Mm -hmm. um, and there is no reason for believing that um, blacks who are arrested have a worse time of it than whites who are arrested under certain, uh, under similar circumstances. Right. So uh, basically do the analysis that an insurance company would do just as, just assume that all the police, let's say there were no laws mm -hmm. on, uh, there were no laws on any of this and every police department was free to buy brutality insurance. Okay. One of your, one of your cops goes bad and he mistreats somebody and you're insured. Okay, the insurance company, uh, insurance company, uh, insurance companies ought to be able to do the calculation based on simple statistics. Yep. So it, someone might say it's not fair that a 19-year-old boy whose dad gave him a hot red convertible ought to has to pay higher um, uh, insurance premiums mm -hmm. than an, uh, a 70-year-old grandma. Okay? Right. But the reason, the reason the insurance companies would charge him more is they look at the stats, they mm -hmm. can do the math. Yeah, high risk. So if all, if all police departments had to buy free market insurance against a black cop mistreating a white, and, and the, let's say there was a, they had a racial rider in the insurance mm -hmm. when accusations of racism arose. I believe that the the premiums would be reasonable, and there wouldn't be any significant differential mm -hmm. on the on the rates. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think that there is a um, a brutality problem where blacks are being singled out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, when if someone says, "Well, wait a minute," uh, the blacks are only you know black males are only six percent of the population, and they count for like 30% of the arrests, uh -huh. you say, well, wait, wait, there's two possible explanations for that. Okay. Uh, one is that the white cops are picking on blacks, you know, uh, going around downtown looking for black businessmen with briefcases and neckties on. <laughs> and then, oh, but he's got a black skin and that's all that matters. Uh -huh. Or you can say that the um, black males live in high crime districts Mm -hmm. And they are, are contributor, contributors to that. They're more likely to be arrested because they're more likely to have committed a criminal act. Mm -hmm. okay? yeah. And then if you said, well, why is that true? You know, wh why is that the case? I would say simply fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seriously. Um, and, and then you say, well, is there, is there systemic, systemic racism? Well, if you, in, if you expand racism to include benevolent paternalism, mm -hmm. Then yes, right. Uh, so let's say let's say an 18-year-old girl in the inner city, a black girl, gets pregnant. Her, the father of the child has a job, uh, less than minimum wage job, sweeping out a warehouse. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the scenario. Okay. Uh, the government comes in 
and says, if you marry that guy, you're not eligible for these benefits that we yeah. will give you. Right. Okay. Uh, and the government can give her more than the father of that child. Monetarily, they can give more. They uh -huh. can't give more when it comes to the presence of a father in the home. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, somebody, some white bureaucrat somewhere came up with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You get, you get more of what you subsidize and less of what you penalize. And if you include uh, soft paternalism, yeah, well, even hard paternalism, where you're saying we're going to jigger this system so that we're going to we're going to create a an epidemic of raging fatherlessness. Yeah, right. In the inner city, and then uh, and then blame and then racists will blame it on the skin color. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you get the if you did the same thing to an all white city, yeah, you would get exactly the same, same results same results exactly exactly um and you get the pathological behaviors one a great book i've read um on this is life at the bottom by theodore dalrymple okay um and he's a uh, he's a british physician who worked for years in uh, a london hospital and the and all the pathologies that we see in our inner city um setups in america uh, which that we're attempt that we are tempted to associate with race mm -hmm. uh, or ethnicity more accurately. Right. Uh, he's got all the uh, all the same pathologies, but everybody's white. Mm -hmm. Everybody's white. Mm -hmm. It's because a paternalistic government, a welfare government, yeah. creates a subclass like this, and uh, it pays men to be irresponsible, and so they impregnate a woman, and off they go. And then that kid grows up with a, without a dad, and 18 years later, presto, crime wave. Yeah. And so the, the systemic racism isn't what's being portrayed in the narrative. It's things like minimum wage laws. It goes back to – so Thomas Thomas Sowell, Thomas Sowell, for some reason, Thomas Sowell just gets completely ignored in the discussion, uh, at least yeah. the, from the people that I see and the things that are going on on the Internet. And for pastors, for some reason, people don't like – Dr. Thomas Sowell, and you listen to him for five minutes and you realize how brilliant he is. Or Larry Elder is another you know, a voice that he just came up with a really good film that uh, traces a lot of the difficulties that, uh, that, that black America faces back to Lyndon B. Johnson and the, and the, the, the policies and welfare state and all of that. It's fascinating to see what it, there's been a, uh, everything's been turned upside down and what's yeah. called systemic racism. What's called the problem isn't actually the problems at all. It's all this dark underbelly of, of actual, these, these terrible democratic policies that go back from the welfare state back to the 50s and the 60s. And Absolutely. So poverty, poverty in the United States was steadily decreased, steadily declining. Mm -hmm. And it was on a downward slope until yep. LBJ declared war on it. Yes. <laughs> and as soon as LBJ declared war on it, um, there was a medieval churchman somewhere who said the poor are a gold mine. Mm. Well, and that's, that's really true. Because what happens is if you, if you create a vast federal bureaucracy to fight poverty, what do you need to always have a supply of? Yeah, poverty. Poor people. Poor people yeah. Right? You, you, can't afford, uh, you can't afford to el eliminate poverty if your whole job and your bureaucracy and your cabinet level position is dependent upon poverty being an existential problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So what you what what the federal bureaucracy for fighting poverty does is perpetuate poverty. Mm -hmm. They need it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right, let's gear change a little bit. A lot of good stuff. And I wrote that book down. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Life at the bottom. Theodore, what was the last name, Doug? Theodore Dalrymple. Dalrymple. Okay, I'll Google it and find it. Let me um, say, can I add one quick thing before you go on? Absolutely, go for it. Um, there's another the thing that is called systemic uh, racism. Sometimes interchange interchanged with things like white privilege. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Let's talk that. Okay. Um, what is tagged as this is a problem? Well, let, let's put it this way. I I'm white. Mm-hmm. I live in a, in a country that's majority white, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly white, um, and so of course. I'm privileged. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, if I were, if, you know, if, if I moved to London or Baghdad or Beijing, I, all of a sudden I'm not privileged. Right. Majority culture. It's, it's a majority culture. Yeah. And there's no, and in the Bible, there is no problem with privilege. Another name for privilege is, is blessing. Yes. Okay. And mm-hmm. so if you're blessed, Jesus teaches us we, we're supposed to use our blessing as a means of blessing others. Freely you've received, freely give. Mm-hmm. Turn, turn a profit on your privilege. Yeah. Turn a profit on your privilege, and uh, God gave it to you to enjoy. Be generous and willing to share, 1 Timothy 6. Mm-hmm. And as you extend your privilege to others, you're imitating God who gave that privilege to you. Mm-hmm. But this is where you can see the snaky head of Marxism in this. Yep. For the Marxists, any diff, any any in, inequality at all, any inequality is a sign of oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. If one person is ahead of another, he got there by cheating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he got there by ripping somebody off because they th- they view the world as a zero sum game where we've got one pie in the room and ten people. And we're going to carve this pie up. And if one person gets a quarter of the pie, that's a smaller piece of pie for everybody else. Right. That's, that's zero sum thinking, but the world's not like that mm-hmm. in the world that God gave us, the pie grows, mm-hmm. right? Wealth grows Yeah. time. Uh, so as the pie grows, uh, then a person could get a smaller piece of pie relative to mine, but a way bigger piece of pie than they would have gotten five years before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So one thing that I've been encouraging our people with, follow me with this real quick, is that if, if 73% of the population in America is white, then the country by, by nature of, of just, I mean, statistics is going to feel more white. If it was inverted and it was 73% black, the culture would feel more white or black. Yeah. I mean, it'd feel more black. Would that be wrong? No. Well, no, it wouldn't. It's just that's the the nat- that's natural disparities that come from a from a a, a dominant culture, not dominant, but a, a predominant culture or predominant color within a culture in our society. Right. So if you go to somewhere else in the world, the that society or that country or that city is going to feel more whatever the predominant color is and whatever the predominant culture is by nature of it being the most. A native a native there wherever it is is going to feel like they belong there. Yeah, more than I do. Yeah. I'm going to feel, if I move there, I'm going to feel like an outsider. If I move there with my wife and kids, my kids are going to grow up kind of outsiders. Mm -hmm. My grandkids might be, feel that even less, but, and and then you throw in factors of how, um, um, how visible the difference is. Mm -hmm. So if, um, if someone from Poland moves to the United States, their great grandchildren have already blended in completely. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, some someone with black skin is not in the, not in the same position, but it's still analogous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Let's let's go white privilege. I'm going to ask you a couple questions that are going to seem weird, and then you're going to understand. So, do you deal with substance abuse issues? Yes. Okay. Substance abuse issues. Do you personally like, or do you have a drinking problem or a smoking oh. weed problem or no. a meth problem? I thought you were talking about pastorally. Yeah, do pastorally. We... I know you do. But no, do you personally, do you deal with those? No. Okay. If I gave you a book or gave you a lecture and said, no, really, if you just read this or listen to this, then you're going to understand that you really do have an issue with substance abuse. Yeah. Okay. Let me explain to you how you really are drunk. Yeah. It, because you know, you're not, you're not going to entertain the thought. Does it help anybody to, to say, Hmm, let me consider that. I mean, don't we have enough sins to deal with that we actually know about in our lives right. that right. we're fighting and warring against and we're, you know, we're, we're trying to, I, I know you don't deal with substance abuse or I don't, nobody convinced me of that. Same thing right. with, with racism. I know I'm not a racist. I don't have to say like, I just know I'm not. Right. Because I'm not. Amen. And if you say, and, and the fact that you deny it is evidence that you're deep, deep in the sin. Uh-huh. I'd say, well, wait, <laughs> But if the the problem, uh, if you want me to, if you want to convict me, uh, well, what you're, uh, it's a micro. You're guilty of microaggressions. Uh-huh. You're guilty of micro, um, micro racism. Uh-huh. I would say, well, then watch me micro care. Yeah, right. There we go. That's good. <laughs> I can get a whole lot of micro care here. Uh, let's talk COVID and masks and getting a little bit more trouble. Um, yeah. So COVID madness, it's going crazy. If if people I keep I was so troubled by so many articles coming out about condemning so many church members and parishioners for being conspiracy theorists and the people who are actually saying wait a minute we've got to we've got to look into this a little bit more Uh, in reality in 2020 it's kind of like you're the weird one if you don't if you actually just believe the government and believe the news then you're actually the crazy person Uh, and we should be able to think through these things critically Um, but everything that's going on with with covid and with mandates we live in illinois which is just a terrible state to live in during this time even though southern illinois we don't claim the north northern part we don't claim chicago uh, i had an interview with matthew Torella who wrote the uh doctrine of the lesser magistrates and that was really yeah. helpful for us to think through as a church and as an elder team uh the concept of obeying uh god over man when the state commands things which god's for, god forbids or forbids things which god commands we have to obey god rather than man what do you see as the issues here that are facing us as we move forward now into the fall what are these categories that you think of that you can think of that require us to obey god rather than man when we continually get uh, state not mandates but executive orders that are coming down from state to state how, how do we know what to do when we say forget it i'm going to obey god i'm not obeying man yeah. So this this is not necessarily the most important issue, but I think it's the most important issue for the people you're trying to talk to. Let's say um, well-meaning Christians. These are Christians who walk with the Lord. They worship God faithfully. They know the gender stuff is crazy. They're faithful to the body. You know, they're faithful, but they're not epidemiologists. They're, they don't understand. They didn't have medical training or whatever. And then the, all of a sudden the governor is telling them, you must wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they've not walked through all the ins and outs of this. So mm-hmm. this, what I'm um, doing here is addressing that group. Okay. All right. Good. A good, solid Christians in the main who think, well, he told us to wear masks. Shouldn't we, if, if I think, if I counsel a woman who doesn't agree with her husband on a decision, but he makes the decision, mm-hmm. shouldn't she cheerfully submit and go along 
even if she differs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And here's why this scenario is not that scenario. Okay. Good. This is I do, helpful. This is practical. Right. I've, I've seen these people, I've, I've seen people just make those same sorts of arguments. So this is helpful. Right. The, the reason this isn't the same sort of issue is because the governor or the mayor or whoever you're dealing with in this, usually a governor, sometimes in here in Moscow, we're dealing with the mayor. Okay. Um, they, they issue a decree. In our system of government, which is that of a constitutional republic, uh, this, is the way, this is the way I illustrate it. You, um, there's a point, everybody understands that the, the guy in charge of this place doesn't get to make decrees about that place. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, the governor of South Dakota can't tell the people what to do anymore because it's now North Dakota. Okay. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So right. we, be, but we can, that's easy to tell because we can get out lines on, we can get out a map and say, see, he lives in South Dakota. He, he's in North Dakota. The jurisdiction, his jurisdiction ended. Okay. That's a simple thing to understand. But because we've not been taught civics, because we've not been taught how American, uh, the American constitutional Republic was built to operate. We mm-hmm. don't understand internal constraints, internal borders. Right. Okay. So the, the, uh, the way I illustrate it is we elected, uh, we elected Smith as governor. Uh, we, the people elected him as governor. We took him into his governor's office and we sat him down at his desk and we said, this red button, you can push the red button. You govern by pushing the red button. Under no circumstances may you push the blue button. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's say the Constitution says there will be no blue button pushing mm-hmm. by anybody, right? Yep. And then one day the governor comes out and says, I've been speaking with my top advisors and there's an emergency and we have to push the blue button. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my response is going to be, let me think about it. No, mm-hmm. you yeah. don't get it. You don't get to do that. And, and here's, this is the, the kick in the teeth for a lot of Christians. This is a scenario. This is a showdown. When I say no, I'm not disobeying Romans 13. I'm disobeying the one who's disobeying Romans 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. The, the Constitution, the framework of our laws, the code, we're, we're ruled by laws, not by men. Mm-hmm. The code prohibits him from pushing the blue button. Yeah. Right. Okay. You, you may not do this. Um, and when we told him you may not do this, if he says, yes, I can, of the person who's overreaching, the person who's abusing his power will never agree with you that that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. When Jehoiada, um, uh, uh, unleashes his, uh, revolt, godly revolt against Athaliah in the old Testament, Athaliah, the queen, looks at what's happening and she cries out treason treason mm-hmm. well but the fact that she called it treason didn't make it treason right she she was the treasonous one she was the murderous one right mm-hmm. so the reason the reason i would say no is because the constitution is the highest authority in a constitutional republic and i'm going to obey it yeah that's good even if the governor is not obeying it yeah and i'm going to obey it because Romans 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Now, if, if I did not live in a constitutional Republic, if I lived under some Oriental despotism, mm-hmm. the situation, if I were an abject slave, uh-huh. if I were some Hebrew slave pulling on the block to make a pyramid, 
the situation would be different. Yeah. Paul, Paul gives instructions to slaves on how to subvert that system. Mm-hmm. But as, the, as our system is constructed, we are part of the government. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? We yeah. have a say. We have a say in this. <laughs> and it's important that when that we have our say um, intelli- and have our input be intelligent and thoughtful and well-read. So and here's the, this is the bottom line. In Idaho, and I, th- I think it's almost, uh, it's very likely to be the case all across the country. In mm-hmm. Idaho, the governor has the right to, when, when there's a, a, an emergency, mm-hmm. when the dam breaks or the asteroids fall or the aliens invade and there's an emergency, the governor has the authority to call a state of emergency. If there right. is an actual emergency, he has the authority to declare one, mm-hmm. which, which kicks certain mechanisms into gear, mm-hmm. okay? Right. And if that emergency is a pandemic or an epidemic, what he has the authority to do, according to the code, is he has the authority to quarantine the sick, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. So if there's a hot spot in a, an infected area or people who who are infected, the governor has the authority, and I believe this is biblical authority. In the Old Testament, they could quarantine a leper, had to go live outside the camp. Mm -hmm. You quarantine quarantine the lepers. I think that's a legitimate function of government, Mm -hmm. to to make someone who's contagious, who doesn't want to leave, to make them leave, Mm -hmm. or to make them remain at home, or, you know, whatever. In ancient Israel, they could even tear down your house if they couldn't get rid of the, the, the mold in your house. What we've, what we've done with the lockdown is we lock down all the healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You, don't have, you don't have the authority to lock down everybody who might be sick. Yeah, right. Well, if you can lock up or lock down anybody who might be sick, that's always true. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's oh. always true. Uh, we can always have the next flu season. We can always have the worst flu season ever. That yeah. might be the case. Next flu season, we might have the Spanish flu. So if, if the governor has the authority to lock us all down because of what we might be carrying, mm-hmm. then what we've just said is because we might get sick, we want to live in a totalitarian state. Yeah. And exactly. when you surrender like that, you have you have rebelled in order to surrender like that. You have to rebel against Romans 13. Amen. You have to, you have to so throw good. off our form of government. Yeah. So good. And a way of control, this asymptomatic carrier, two weeks, asymptomatic carrying, all you have to do to control to a greater degree is extend that out to a month. Well, we have new data. There's been new research. We have a new Institute that says this asymptomatic control and people would line up in droves. I saw really one of the things that's been interesting about 2020 is the funny memes that have been floating around. But uh, I saw one that had a concentration camp that said over the top of it, COVID free zone. And it had people piling into cars to get there. And it's like, I think that that would actually happen. I think people would sign up for that and uh, put their name on a piece of paper to get on the next train. Uh, So that is when you think, when think about it for a minute, uh, this for a minute, 42%, 42% of all COVID deaths in the United States happened in three states, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, mm-hmm. all, all right next to each other. Right. That's, that was a hot zone. 
Now, what you should have done, I do I believe that that was a political, that was a challenge, a crisis, a real crisis mm -hmm. for those political leaders to address? Yes, it, mm -hmm. it really was. Yeah. And they, they were responsible to do competent, intelligent things instead of the things they did. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So, so what Cuomo did is he sent infected people to go uh, to be locked up in rest homes. How, how is he not in trouble for that, by the way? How, I, how is just, he getting praised? How does he not go to, I mean, there's got to be some sort of, you know, response to that. I, and I just don't understand it. I, I don't get it. It's, it's flabbergasting. The Jacob Javits Center had all these beds in it. There was a hospital ship in the harbor. He could have he sent, that wound up getting sent home. I saw he that. Sent, he could have sent all those people there. But what he, the, the people in the rest homes with comorbidities, old age, and other diseases, he sent these infected people into those places, and 42% of all deaths happened in, in those three states. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, why should we be copying those guys? Right, exactly. Right? Why should we? Let's copy South Dakota. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, let me... Okay, I, this is so good. We can keep having a good conversation about this for a very long time. But I want to ask, I asked a few listeners, um, or I asked uh, my listeners if they had any questions for you. And I had one troll, which always happens with your name uh, that comes up. And uh, so I'm not going to ask that question. But if I have, a, I have a couple questions, and you just have answer these just off the cuff real quick, if you could. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, I'm gonna throw them your way. Okay. Question number one. Uh, our good friend, family friend of ours, uh, Brees Scroggins asked, what are your thoughts on birth control? Okay, birth, um, uh, birth control is something that is, I think, um, miss, uh, it's a misnomer. Okay. Right? Uh, I think we, uh, the Bible talks about self-control. The Bible doesn't talk about birth control. Okay. I, I believe that a husband and wife, it, if there's a sexual expression um, that's lawful in the Bible, it's within marriage mm -hmm. and within marriage you've got uh the uh, genesis to revelation expectation that fruit, fruitfulness is a good thing mm -hmm. right so the bible um if you came to christ church and you were worshiping with us and after the service you got down on one knee and you looked across the uh the place where we meet mm -hmm. and saw this the population of little saints down there you would think that we had a rule against birth control. Okay. Uh, but we don't. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we have positive teaching on what families are for, what marriage is for, what sex is for. Um, and it's a child positive message. Yeah. Now, I think I that said, on my blog, I've got a, a post called 11 Theses on Birth Control. Uh, all abortifacient methods of birth control are out. Okay. If, um, anything that's an abortifacient is out. And if, um, if someone comes to me, if a young couple come to me and they say, you know, we want to get married and then we're not going to have kids for five years so we can get to know one another and go find America. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I would tell them as a pastor, you don't know what marriage is for. You're not ready to get married. You're not ready to get married. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, if, and I would, I would talk to them about their sinful attitude toward birth control. Mm -hmm. Okay. If, um, let's say uh, I'm talking to another couple and the husband has got a year and a half left in grad school and they say, yeah, we're not, we're not having children. Um, 
while he's still in grad, grad school, but then we're going to move to his daddy's ranch and have 10 fat little babies as soon as we can. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have, if I differ with their, um, use of birth control, which I would, mm -hmm. I wouldn't differ with their view of the family, which I think is the, that's the altar that sanctifies the gold on the altar. Okay. That's right? good. So yep. I would tell them what I thought of birth control if they asked. Okay. If they asked for my advice there, I, I would tell them, but with the, the first couple I was talking about, I'd go, I'd go after it. I'd say there's a problem here that we need to root out. Okay. That's helpful. Very helpful. And I'll, put a link to that article too on 11 thesis okay. birth control as well. And, yeah, and, that, and I cover more bases than I just did verbally. Okay. Very good. Okay. Just one more for the sake of time here. Um, let's see. There was one about raising daughters. Um, I'm for it. Okay. For it. Yeah. Any advice on raising daughters? Yeah. Um, uh, I'll put this in my, uh, my wife and my two daughters are currently working on a book called Future Women. Oh, that's I, awesome. To pair okay. with future men. That's fantastic. Yeah, to, it, uh, so we wrote, I wrote Future Men. They're writing Future Women. Okay. So, um, so just get that out there. That should be out within the next year. Awesome. Um, on raising daughters, one of the things that men and women, mothers and fathers have to recognize is that you can't assert that men and women are completely different without recognizing that boys and girls are completely different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and one of the differences is, and this is what I would say, the central thing I would say about raising daughters is you want your daughters to be secured. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So you want your love, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to work, your willingness to work, all of those things to be bestowed on them. Mm -hmm. to surround them, to cover them, and to protect them. Yeah. You, you want your daughters to feel loved and secured. And, and here's the, um, and with boys, you know, of course, you, of course you want your boys to feel loved, but boys and girls run on different kinds of fuel. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like diesel and regular. Yeah. Okay. Men run on, men on run on respect. Women run on love. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the Bible tells wives to respect their husbands, honor their husbands. It tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And I think that God gives us these commands to our respective weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's good. And it, um, so in other words, men are good at respecting and not that good at loving. Mm -hmm. Women are good at loving and not that good at respecting. And so women have to be reminded to respect because they're, they can fall into disrespect easily Men need to be reminded to love because they can fall into a lack of love easily, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Not only does it, not only is that command given to our respective weaknesses, it also tells us uh, what the other person needs. So if God tells uh, the pastors to feed my sheep, you can infer from that that sheep need food. Mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. If, mm -hmm. if you're told to love your wives, then your wife needs love. If you're told to respect your husband, your husband needs respect. That's the fuel we run on. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, daughters need to be loved and sons need to be respected. It's mm, good. Okay. Now, obviously, both need to be loved and respected. I'm talking about emphases. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you, you front load love with daughters. You front load respect with sons. 
Okay. And yep. respect has to do with abilities and achievements. That was really fast. You're really strong. That was well done. You know, you're, and you can see little boys and little girls angling for what they would like because little girl, if a, if a kid is running low on, on their fuel, mm -hmm. little girls flirt and little boys brag. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? It's true. Uh, little boy brags because he wants someone to praise him. Mm -hmm. He wants someone to respect him. He wants yep. someone to tell him that was well done. And, and you want to, as a parent, you want to head that off by um, ladling on your daughters. You want to ladle love and security over their heads with a snow shovel. Mm -hmm. And you want to be doing the same thing with your sons when it comes to respect. Treat your sons and daughters equitably, but differently. Very good. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Most of my listeners, if not all of them, know you, Doug, or know of you, or have read an article that you've written. But say there's somebody that's listening and they're thinking, man, I like this guy. Where can they find out more from you? Uh, tell us where they can find you. Uh, the best clearinghouse uh, would be my blog, which is blog and may blog. And the address is dougwills.com. And they can usually find out pretty much anything else I'm doing if they go there. Okay. Books Good and deal. whatnot. Good deal. Well, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the show again. You're so welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.